0: The Dr. Zeus film podcast. We conjure the spirit through documentary of Ian Fraser Kilmeister, motherfucker, born the 24th of December 1945 in Stoke-on-Tent, Stratfordshire, England. Died the 28th of December 2015 in Los Angeles, California. You know him as Lemmy Kilmeister of Motorhead. And tonight would have been his 75th birthday. And I have a fresh quote. I asked the great George Strombolopoulos about Lemmy, and he said it was him and another music person they, they were going to do an interview and he says to him at 10 in the morning do you want jack and coke and he says well you know and he said something he says i didn't ask you if you felt good i just asked if you wanted jack and coke and then he says how let me grinned at him let me let me let you know i never met him i never got to see motorhead in concert but oh my god, you know what brought me to the door of Motorhead was this documentary in 2010. Let me. And it was done in such a way where you you learn so much about this amazing artist. Who did his own thing, lived by his own motherfucking rules, and was born on Christmas motherfucking Eve. 24th CD for Motorhead. Amazing.
1: Yeah,
2: it amazed me, all right.
0: <laughs> Thirty-five me, years ago when you get the band started, do you
3: think you'd be twenty-five albums in?
2: You don't think like that, you think two years, you know. I mean you just want to play this. With... Of guys you know this all is and then he goes on, and
0: on there's a really great moment at the beginning of the documentary how they intro him in the
3: only static member of a band called motorhead the image of his Silhouette holding that that Rickenbacker bass. That alone is enough to push yours up my spine. I'm, of of course, talking about the man sitting right next to me. Musical icon,
2: Lemmy. Uh, You romantic fool.
0: (laughs) And then Damage Case plays. Oh. My. God. And we're going to play a little bit about it. I'm probably going to get in trouble, but I know Lemmy... um, Here we go. You know, um, don't, don't, I know he won't come after me, and I know his estate won't come after me, but here we go. You've got to hear what some of these fans say about Lemmy. It is a movement. The
4: man's the modern Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) To be honest, he's fucking Jesus Christ. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. It's my life. Without Lemmy, there'd
3: be like Motorhead, the there'd be no Metallica, no Megadeth, no Slayer, nothing. There wouldn't be any of the heavy metal we
5: have today. Rock and roll is Lemmy. Lemmy is rock and roll.
0: Rock rock and roll. Don't you just love that? That energy. That ferocity. The authenticity of motorhead.
6: <laughs> Lemmy is. God, they drop a nuclear bomb on this
7: planet, it's Lemmy and cockroaches yeah. is all exactly. that's going to survive.
0: Yep, that's true. Unfortunately, five years ago, Lemmy died. Lemmy died of cancer. Lemmy died, I mean, uh, right after his birthday on December 28th. What else can we say about Lemmy Kilmeister? An icon. Oh, my God. Yeah, here he is talking about the Beatles.
2: Well, the first time I saw the Beatles, they hadn't made a record
1: yet. Saw, you saw them?
2: I saw them at the Cavern in Liverpool. No, yeah. What was that like? It was, it was magic. Like they were magic, you know.
1: Did you think, oh my God, this is going to be the greatest rock band of all time, or this? Yeah, kind of, was I
2: did. Because, like, we used to get these girls would come down. I lived in this holiday resort place in North Wales, and you get these girls from Liverpool who come down. And every year it was this singer called Billy Fury. They were all crazy about him. And then one year it all changed. It was this Beatles thing, you know. So we hitchhiked up to Liverpool and see what they were like. And they were monstrous. They were, like, perfect, you know. Everybody thinks the Stones were the hard men and the Beatles were the sissies. And it's really opposite. The Beatles were from Liverpool and the Stones were from the London suburbs, you know. Going to art school and shit, you know. So, like, it wasn't that way at all. The Beatles are always the the best band in the world.
0: And it's interesting is is that he's looking for a Beatles box in mono and he finds it. The owner gives it to him. Now that, and in the spirit of rock and roll. And what this documentary just talks about is Lemmy getting together with all of these people who, I mean, come on.
5: World War II chic. (laughs) He's Black Bart meets Mad Max. He's
6: Captain Hook. A little bit of cowboy, a little bit of metal a little bit of rock and roll. He would be the perfect description of, like, my dream dude for sure. Lemmy's look is something that
1: is probably a little bit cultivated from back in the 50s, and then added to that some of the sort of shit that he picked up along the way, you know, his bikers, punk rock, whatever.
5: Um, although he's been around for a long time, so, it was, you know, maybe he had some of the punk stuff they got from him.
0: Isn't that interesting? And they've got his personal bootmaker... I mean it didn't it didn't get any better than that. To have your own personalized boot maker. Um oh here's here's um I tell you
3: he's wearing Daisy Dukes. It was like a thong, dude. Scotty and a walk out correct. of our door and the first thing you would see when you walk out of our room was Lemmy bent over this machine. So it's basically Lemmy bending over with his ass in in your face. It was a, that's a weird scene. And we're all wearing shorts, but our shorts are, you know, like board shorts. Finally, you know, I got the balls to walk up to him and, and he's playing the game. And I'm like, hey, man, hey, Scott, how are you? And I'm like, hey, you know, we just all been wondering. He's like, what's that? And I said, what's the deal with the shorts? Like, seriously? And I'm like, thinking, like, I'm afraid he's going to punch me. Like, what's going to happen here? And, and he's like, what, what do you mean? And I said. They're really short. Like what's it like we see your ass every day. It's kinda weird. And he goes, what? It's hot out. These are shorts. And he like kinda steps back. He looks at me and goes, those aren't shorts. Those are pants. These are shorts. I'm cool. And he just kinda goes like this, like like it made absolute sense.
0: Yeah, it did. And there he is smoking a cigarette with a short motherfucking shorts. All right, this documentary got me into Motorhead. After this, I was like buying all the I mean, I heard Damage Case and I went, "What the fuck?" Here, I mean, mm, you've got you've got all of his cohorts just talking about him no words, it's just he's Lemmy, I
5: mean it's almost it should be a verb
8: (laughs) nobody told him to do anything that he wasn't completely natural and comfortable doing and that's rare man, and that's why I think we respond with respect because um, we want to be like that
3: I think he's a renegade, you know, there's not that many of them anymore, everybody assimilates you know, go along to get along you know, to get what they need to get. And I don't see Lemmy as that kind of guy. I see Lemmy as doing things his way to get where he wants to go. And that's attractive because people don't do that anymore.
0: That's interesting, too. That is what drew me to Lemmy. Is the fact that he does his own thing. Other people were like, oh, you know, Okay. Um, oh, here's an interesting story You gotta cover it all when it's on the double chorus, I can just... Yeah, it's a double chorus, you know oh. Fuck! No. For Christ's sake What was Chuck Berry thinking? Chuck I remember a show in, in England That I did with Meatloaf, Where the whole show was held up Because Chuck Berry thought he hadn't been paid When his agent had been paid yeah. and He wouldn't go on Until
4: he had a wad of, of money They've been
2: fucked so many times, you know In the 50s You know, there's no rules at all Shit. The a guy pull a gun and say, I'm not paying you. What are you going to do? Oh, even in the '60s and yeah, late 60s, Hendricks got burned fucking blind, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean, he never saw any of the money. I was fucking standing outside of LAX once, getting ready to get on a plane. And this young black guy comes up to me and he says, Hey, I read in an interview that uh, that the only person that you ever want to meet is Little Richard. And I'd always said that. Like, I not give too. a fuck about anyone else. It's Little Richard, you know. Yeah. I said, Little Richard. And he goes, yeah, he's my dad. I said shit Really Fuck really and He goes yeah He goes come here And there's this limo Parked out front And he goes And the window comes down Like And this fucking Little Richard Is sitting right there I'm like oh my god And he goes Hey dad He goes This guy Was an ex He's like what he said, This guy is a musician. And he goes, Oh. And the fucking window comes out and goes,
2: God bless you. How, are you <laughs> How weird must it have been to be gay and black in Macon, Georgia in the <laughs> 50s? The, An
5: amazing singer.
1: The best rock and roll singer ever. I don't know who people consider the originator of rock and roll. That's who I think is Little Richard. Because nobody uh, else had the fuck. Like, he was crazy. Then you know? Elvis, and Jerry
2: Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis. That's Lewis it. Too. Those three. Yes. Yeah. You can't tell who did the first, whatever, but like.
0: Between them, they started rock and roll. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Though, is is his stance on Little Richard? You know, and then he was a roadie for Hendrix. He used to score acid for Hendrix, and it talks about him and the one one arm bandit, how he liked to go to the Rainbow Grill, you know, and just play his one one arm bandit, his Jack and Coke. He liked to be left alone. You know what I mean?
3: For me, anyway, Le- Lemmy became synonymous with the Rainbow because any time you would go there, there he is playing the trivia machine, and it literally became a joke. Like, let's go to the Rainbow and have a drink and-, and say hi to Lemmy, like, jokingly, and then and Lemmy's there.
2: You get so many tourists that come in, especially in the summertime, you know, right? Is
4: Lemmy hang here? Is Lemmy here? He's not here. He's on tour. <laughs> he's got to be one of two places. The Rainbow or on tour.
5: Just give Lemmy that game, a Jack and Coke, and a cigarette, and he's there forever. When people come in here and they'll go on the game and
6: they'll go, the, it says Lemmy up there. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's Lemmy from Odahead. No,
5: you can't do it. It's like the middle of the afternoon. Then all of a sudden, it's, here's Lemmy sitting down at the bar.
8: I've seen everything from, like, chicks, like, welling up to the frat guy.
3: Oh, my God. It's the best when they start crying, though. It's just so cute.
4: Anyone that wants a picture, he'll take one. You know, anybody that wants to talk to him, he'll talk to him. But you got to let him play his mega
5: first. We'd just be sitting there playing it. Some sort of uh, weird heavy metal meditation. (laughs) Mixed with Jack and Coke and something else that we won't disclose. You know?
0: And so that's Lemmy part one. And we're going to dive after these messages into the, the country that made Lemmy, which is England. All right. We'll be back. Dr. Zeus Film Podcast documentary December. Lemmy! And we're back. Part two of Lemmy, the documentary from 2010 about Lemmy Kilmeister. Let's uh, dive in
2: to Wales. I was a house painter for about three weeks, looking for this old gay guy called Mr. Brownsword. How's that? It's true, too. Mr. fucking Brownsword. (laughs) It doesn't come any better than that. Monty Python couldn't do better than that. Luckily, he fancied my mate, not me, so I got to paint the upstairs. Well, he was just fucking calling downstairs, you know. It's funny as shit. I worked at the riding stables in the summer. I worked on the fair in the summer when the fair came round. What else did I do? I worked in a factory for a while, but that was fucking terrible. I grew my hair till he fired me. We had the beach and the sea and the horses, you know, so it was great. I had a pretty good childhood, you know, I ain't complaining. Said so they fucking ruined it and put school in
1: there, you know. I'd heard before that Lemmy went to school here, um, but I'd heard a load of rumours about it first, and then I went and checked on the internet and found out it was true.
0: I heard Lemmy got expelled from
3: this school.
4: And for what reason?
3: Uh, apparently he was playing his guitar down the
6: tunnel, but I'm not sure if that's true or
4: not. I don't even know if he wanted to be a rock star or anything. I think it just came naturally, because that, that's how he seems. He just seems like pure rock.
0: Isn't that beautiful? Is that they've all gathered. And now this is Lemmy, the first band that he did. Um, Let's put it on caption so we can learn more about this. Where is the caption? Doesn't have it. The Vickers, Rocking Vickers, okay. is there a caption because i want to Nope. okay so this was the first band he was in the rocking vickers interesting title for a band <laughs> And, you know, I mean, you think of everything that Lemmy did musically, which is fucking hard, okay? But at the same time, you know, he's doing Rock Rockin' Rudolph with, you know, Dave Grohl. Um, we're covering it all tonight. This is his birthday, okay? Wherever he is, if he's haunting your house, good. He's got metal, okay?
2: That's like 4,000 a week each now And we all had Jags and we had a speedboat From Christchurch to go
7: water skin And Windermere It was rock and roll with a bit of thump Very
0: aggressive. A bit of thump Okay, so it was kind of Almost along the lines of Garage rock Alright, there's Lemmy Playing that Rickenbacker bass
2: Settled into this routine Of doing the same gigs every year You know, the circuit and
0: they
7: became, in the end, in fact, a show, you know. so wrong for me, really. He wants to be in the thick of it in London, like, you know. And we didn't.
0: <laughs> you know, it's interesting, and then he goes on to do the space rock band Hawkwind.
4: What I really like, you
3: know, about the, the Lemmy mythology is that he used to uh, uh, be a roadie
4: for Jimi Hendrix too, which scores a lot of points in my book, man. He would rather play an instrument than carry it, uh, and so
6: that
5: kind of gives you the idea.
6: <laughs> I think just as a as a resume piece, you know,
1: defining, you know, what is a rocker. You know, I mean to his core you know uh, the kind of guys if I can't be in the band
7: I'll carry their equipment he hung out with musicians and he just did it continually until people let him play and he's he's really come up the hard way
5: (laughs) he said one of the most amazing one-liners I've ever heard in my life to me and he explained it he said I remember before there was rock and roll I said wow that's a That's a wild thing to say. I said, what do you mean? And I'm not gonna try and imitate his voice. He said, I remember when there's only Rosemary Clooney records. He goes, I remember before there was rock and roll. There was just like your mom's records. He said, and I I think I'm paraphrasing. He said, I I think he said something like, then we heard Elvis and we never turned back. He said, we heard rock and roll and we said, that's us. In the 60s, how I got albums,
2: I had to go down, and singles too, I had to go down to the electrical appliance shop. And he would order it for me from whatever company, you know. And this is purely as a he wasn't licensed to do or nothing, it's just a friendly basis, you know. And he'd order them for me and like three weeks later they'd come back ra- come back, you know. Buddy Holly record called Wishing. And a buddy Holly record called Learning the Game. Eddie Cochran and two, three steps ahead, and I was able to order that and something else.
3: these kids without knowing it. When they listen to Motorhead, they're getting Johnny Cash, they're getting Chuck Berry, they're getting Eddie Cochran. It was the same thing with the the original punk rock guys. They were very influenced by that music. A lot of times the fans don't know that, but when they're listening to Ace of Spades, they're listening to Eddie Cochran. That's Lem's
0: influence. Isn't that interesting is um, you know, he's got all these different influences within his arsenal, shall we say?
2: That's from um, Lita Ford, because I wrote a song on that album. That's from the Wacken Festival in Germany. And this is my clan, the Scottish clan Fraser. And this is my own membership in the Rangers. There's my action figure. You've got to keep it in the original box, see. Then one day it be worth as much as $5. The silver and gold record for page. Spades. This is from Hammersmith, Odeon. This is uh, from Neuslück to Lammersmith Smith, and this is uh, by a German cat. It's really good too, huh? I wish I hadn't dropped it, you know, that's the only thing. Then why not move? Well, for one thing, I'm never going to get a place like for the money I'm paying here. I mean, I've got a place that's rent control. They can't put it in more than 6% a year, yeah? So I'm still only paying 900 bucks a block from Sunset, you know. I'm never going to get a deal like that. And I'd want to live around here because I like it around here, you know.
8: What's your most cherished possession in here? My son. Well, this
2: he's you. the only one I got. I mean, I have another one, but I've never seen him, so he don't care. Really. Neither have I, no. No, neither of no. Well, his, his mother went and found him two years ago. She said he's like five foot tall, it's just like me. And uh, he's a computer fucking programmer or something. Really? Does he so wear... she said, he, he, she, you know, she, she's a social worker, right? And she's putting a bit of weight, so she wears these like paisley smock things, you know what I mean? Like? And she said he put his head in his hands when she told him she was his mother. She said she hadn't got, hadn't got the heart to tell him who his father was. <laughs> You the balcony with a fucking pistol, you know I <laughs> Well, you can't win them all, can you? Where would you put them? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know, I just like stuff. I've always liked stuff. Stuff is what happens, you know? In your life, you get stuff. Then you lose some stuff and you keep some stuff. And at the end, you leave it to some other poor bastard to be saddled with it the rest of their lives. You know. Don't worry, kids, you'll, you'll love all this shit soon enough.
4: <laughs> I'm looking forward to that.
2: Yeah, really, I have <laughs> no doubt, yeah.
4: I'd rather have you than all that stuff.
2: I know, yeah. I, don't, I can never imagine why that is why people would rather us gobsmack ne- uh, you know, instead of a load of money oh. I never
4: understood that well money doesn't you know, love you back does it I you can know. spend you, it but it doesn't you, love you, you back you can
2: imagine it does well I know that you met your dad when you were six um, mm. I met him too
4: Yeah, we met each other at the
2: same time, actually. Simultaneously, it was. Funny how that happens. Like two ships meeting in the cosmos,
4: man. It's like a memory that's all frayed (coughs) around the edges and all sepia-toned.
2: Sepia, see? Actually, I was sepia then. Yeah. I was almost see-through, in fact.
4: Yeah. I just remember tugging at these slim legs in jeans. That was me, you see. That was him, you see. But I was very small, so I just saw the legs. Scrap, what happened? Um... I was... I don't really remember what. There was a
2: dope deal. I was yeah. waiting for some hash to arrive or something, and the, this. I was in the kitchen making a piece of toast, and this small blonde child came in and... You're my dad, I'm your son, and my mum's in the other room, and I look around, there's bloody Tracy <laughs> sitting there, babbling like an idiot as usual. I don't know how he got there, because, like, she... She wasn't in no dope deal, because she
4: didn't do drugs, right? So... Why was she there? Well, my mum went. How looking... did she get in there? Well, she went looking for you. I know that. Oh, and that's because I, when I was about four, um, I was, you know, in like a kindergarten, right? Right. And there was this there was this other kid that came up to me and he said, uh, uh, "I've got a daddy and a mummy," and I was like, "Well, I've only got a mummy, right?" But he said, "He said you must have a daddy because everybody has a daddy and a mummy." So I went home and I said. Where's my daddy? Where's my daddy then? You bitch. And and I got this look like... Oh, yeah, we don't talk about him in this house. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think after that, you know, endeavours were made to introduce us to each other.
2: Ah. You know, I didn't want to live with his mother, you see. Because it was only like casual sex, really, you know. But, I I mean, I I love Paul. I mean, I like Tracy. She's she's great. And she did a really good job bringing him up, you know, up to a point. And he's, he's turned out to be a really clever kid, you know, and he's good. He's a great musician, you know, you have no idea how good he is, you know. My mum uh, knew the Beatles, right? Oh, yeah, she used to go out with John Lennon, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. She, she, uh, Obviously she, trying she, to get to Paul McCartney through him.
4: No, she, she lost her virginity to John Lennon. Yeah, right. The story that I've been told by my mum was that um, George... Liked her, oh. and and he would shyly coyly look at her when she walked past the bus stop, and George yeah. would be standing there, and she she'd, she wasn't interested in in George, right? And then, um, you know, but I don't know. I mean, maybe if she had been interested in George. It would have lasted longer than with John. <laughs> Never know. It didn't last longer with John, did it? No,
2: it didn't. But she always talked about it. She was very smitten. She but was I think, smitten But she called John. you after Paul, not John. So. You know,
4: yeah, that's a strange one, isn't it? Yeah,
2: she must have been thinking about Paul when she was with John, perhaps. Well, I, I perhaps I, I, she called him Paul and that's why it didn't last. About oh, I love, you, I love you, Paul. Yeah. What? <laughs>
4: yeah, Paul.
2: No, we swapped girlfriends twice, didn't we? Yeah, we did. At the Limelight and then at, at the uh, Stringfellas, wasn't it?
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah, we swapped girlfriends one, one night and then did it again about two months later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, a lot of chicks like that, you know, the old man and the son as well. Yeah. Must be, it's like, it's like screwing the daughter and the mother at the same time. It's like that, yeah. You know? Yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it ever feel too cluttered for you? Yeah, all the time. What do you think? What are you doing? Shooting my trash can? Fuck off, man. You better not put that in the trash mean? can.
4: Huh? Where's the trash can? There. You should the, no. the table. I didn't see that. I was looking at that. At hmm. like what? I don't know. Whatever that is. Uh, you could offload Cam. some... It's a fucking Domino's bargain list. <laughs> one of my favorite memories of my dad was when I was six years old. And I was... I'd just learned to play like three or four chords. He came to visit and as he was leaving, he, uh, he picked up one of the other guitars and he started just playing by the front door. Like, you know, E major, and and he, we just jammed on that one chord for about twenty minutes, and it, and he was just, you know, like looking right into my face, you know, like right into my eyes, and just 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 egging me on, you know, like this is the rhythm, this is this is the feel, this is how you do it. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so that's interesting. I let it, I let it just run. You know what I mean? Father and son. Um major. Yeah, I I love hearing about that. Here's another one, if we can go further up.
1: <laughs> I served several years in the U.S. Army uh, as a special operations soldier, uh, both in Ranger Regiment and Special Forces, and uh, I served in Iraq and Afghanistan. I know Lemmy's a big military history buff. That was kind of my rock and roll uh, connective tissue to the military was... Probably motorhead. Uh, you know I'd, I would wear motorhead t-shirts you know over there in a way kind of uh, stating my own individuality not to uh, uh, glorify war or say yeah wars really cool or whatever it is what it is. It's a, it's a function of the human condition but motorhead
8: is a it's good it's good go to war music. As most people might know he's a World War one and World War II historian. 1916 was their first Grammy nomination record. That was about World War One, and he's a collector in, in uh, I would say, world, well, just war memorabilia in, in general. I remember watching a BBC uh, documentary with him, and he's over here showing me this airplane that uh, Messerschmitt or something. I'm trying to remember what it was, and he's going, "That's that that that's wrong." I go, "Lem, it's a documentary. He must have researched this shit. Brings out three different books to show me that that plane wasn't even built then."
2: Something right, German male bungees to kill elephants, the elephants all over his fucking apartment. I think I my own collection is more interesting
0: <laughs> now. B, B, okay, I'm not gonna see B for one, but this is interesting. He has a collection of German metal. And a lot of swastikas and a lot of World War Two as well. And you know, he he has a point. He's well, everyone has a point. Here we go.
2: He's a Masonic dagger. Look at that. Huh? That's a nice piece too. This is from Toledo. Not Ohio. Yeah this freaking thing. Whoa! what is that? British. That's British, I think it's from the First War though. And this is a German bear, That's seen action. I always like the workmanship and the designs you know they're the last great knife makers you know the last great sword makers it's a craft in germany that uh, has largely disappeared now you know even a lot of the american swords were made in germany in the civil war there's a lot of german used in that war and then um, up to the first world war obviously you know i got Argentinian stuff i got yugoslav i got croat slovakian
1: and how long has it taken you to, to mass this collection that you have? Is it years and years, right? 19 years, yeah. When I came over to the States,
2: I had nothing. Yeah. So there we are. Come
0: on. There he is in a fucking tank. Oh, that's that, that's truly metal right there um, now he's gonna say something so I want I want you all to hear it this is actually the
2: smallest tank that the Germans made it was Made actually in Czechoslovakia, based on a Skoda design from before the war. And this was a, called a Hetzer 38T chassis. It was a tank killer. This is a big gun for the tank this size. This is 75mm armor-piercing gun, you know. This would stop anything, more or less. They buried this tank in the ground, right? So the, all would be visible would be this, here right, just a gun on the top of the tank, you know. So they just sit there and wait for you to come along and just kill you. (laughs) Wars are the most interesting times. It shows the best and the worst in people, a war. You know, you get to find out who your real friends are. Ask any of those boys coming back from Iraq, you know. Anybody who's watching this film and thinks that you're a Nazi, what do you want to say to them? Well, I've had six black girlfriends so far. So I'm one of the worst Nazis you ever met, right? Imagine going to Nuremberg and introducing my girlfriend to the Fuhrer, you know? Like, yeah, I don't think so. I just dress how I like to dress, you know? And I don't ask anybody else to do it, you know? It's a free country.
0: See, it's interesting is he makes a a case and he makes a point. Now we're going to dive in. Hawkwind.
5: Hawkwind. I think we're really ahead of the time. I worship Hawkwind. You know, that's some genius music. They
7: were kind of like the prog rock group that that punks were allowed to like.
0: Oh, yeah. Space rock. Well, I mean, it's it's Lemmy. It's not
7: choreographed. It's not safe. It's not cliched. It's not, you know, you never know what you're going to see, to be quite honest. And that's got to be good, isn't it? You know? We're a space rock band, so I mean a lot of the music we, we play was around science fiction stories, which we'd sort of interpret and put into music. So we're a pretty heavy rock band with uh, nice flowing electronics. People
2: thought we were some sort of heavy fucking fire people. with fucking looking and man. We were like a black nightmare, man. We used to lock the door so people couldn't get out. <laughs>
7: It was a psychedelic experience, and nobody was doing that sort of thing. Really, we just used to have, used to get this sort of trancey beat going, this trancey rhythm, and a stroke.
0: All the guys and Hawkwind look like shit, and Ed and Lemmy just looks like Lemmy. It's like rock and roll's been good to me, bitch.
7: It's quite odd as New Order, and um, the driving sound that Hawkwind had, the very
5: pulsy percussive keyboard sounds, you know, we we would actually listen to that and try and emulate it. You know, in songs like
7: Temptation and Everything's Gone Green, we actually did try and rip off all And
4: they represented the first
7: sort of counterculture. You know, with IT and oh. Oz Magazine. And, and that was,
3: was all coming romantic. up. And it was a wonderful time to grow up to be a kid. Yeah. But mostly I remember standing at the front, drooling at Stacia. <laughs> the girl with her breasts out. The girl with her breasts out, which was incredible for a 12 or 13 year old. You know what I mean? It was like our education.
0: Interesting, isn't it? It was like a family, you
6: know. It was, like, it was like a family, and we had a huge following, you know. we Just because we do any gig, and we do a gig in London, it would be like a drug dealers convention.
7: Dippin'g and uh, Lemmy was sort of always into a lot of speed and grumpy. Stick that was always grumpy because they'd been up for a few days, and we get picked up in our van, and he'd be all grumpy, and Lemmy'd be all surly, and getting slammed the door and sit down. You know? We were in the states touring
2: and we were in Niles, Michigan, on the way to Detroit. I don't know if you where Niles is, it's on the other side of Michigan from where Detroit is. So uh, we pulled over at a, a roadhouse to eat, and I wasn't hungry, you know, being a speed freak, so. I just got this new camera, so I went out prowling around looking for things to, you know yeah, you I with the new camera. And um, I got conked over the head in this abandoned housing project and fucking came around without my camera, without any money. I go back to the roadhouse and they're gone. And dump me there, you know. I mean, what kind of shit is that? You know, one of your band members is just missing, after you have a meal and you just drive off. (laughs) That's not the way I work, you know. And uh, so now I'm stuck here, so I have to hitchhike across Michigan. I go up to my room, crash out for about two hours, down the sound check, do the show, crossing into Canada the next day, I get busted for speed. In jail for two days in Canada, handcuffed to a fucking iron bar. And uh, they. then I get the news as I'm going into Essex County Jail with the overalls over my arm, going to the de section. This voice behind me says you're bailed, kill mister. So I, oh, uh, thank you, you know. Flown to Toronto immediately, do the show, four o'clock in the morning, fired. Apparently, they only got me out of jail because my replacement couldn't make it in time.
7: I found Lemmy, in certain ways, quite hard to work with because we were in a band where...
0: He's a wanker, this guy.
7: So you had this sort of disparity between people of where they were and, you know, what sort of wavelength they were on. You know, I was into sort of psychedelics myself and pot and mushrooms and peyote and all that sort of thing, pretty calm stuff, you know. And um, I think Lemmy was more into amphetamines. He used to hang the band up because he was never on time to leave in the morning when we had to get up and catch a flight somewhere and we'll all be downstairs waiting to go and, Christ, you know, where is he? You know, I'll have to go upstairs and he would be still in bed, you know, you'd come on let me, for Christ's sake, hey. and it did cause a lot of stress within the band, all of us you know, all of us got pissed off over it, it wasn't you know, just one or two, we did get pissed off over it, and then he got uh, busted at the border sort of thing, which seemed to seemingly, when you were on tour with all the stress factors, like the last straw, you know what I mean and it was decided, the majority uh, you know, the band said, no, enough Enough, and that was it.
6: When I arrived at the gig, and I said, You know, where the fuck's Lemmy? And they said, Uh, this other guy, uh, Paul Rudolph, was taking his place, that they'd sacked Lemmy. And I, I mean, I was devastated, because, but I'm the type of person who uh, I, t- I keep a lot inside, so um. I think I just carried on, but I was devastated.
7: It was quite a sad thing, actually. Very sad. I mean, he was very upset over it. And,
0: uh, well, oh, yeah, he was upset all right, but he...
7: What it, it probably was
2: was 70s drug snobbery, you know? Like, they were all just doing organic drugs, man, you know, and I was doing speed and organic drugs. So I didn't like that, you know? He hated uh, us
7: for it all, really, at the time.
0: Oh, yeah, he gets his vengeance, Lemmy.
7: Um, sanctimonious, self-righteous asshole. at some point, and I thought, oh, well,
6: that's all right. That's what right. he thinks of me.
7: I
2: went home and screwed three of the old ladies. <laughs> uh, you know, well, you know, vengeance is sweet, saith the, the Lord. Lord. You know, And uh, I must admit I was banging one of them already before we left. But it was a great time. I wouldn't have traded it for any other band ever, you
7: know. In fact, I would have probably been in that band right now if they hadn't fired me. But they are. Anyway, it was quite good for him, because look where he is now, so...
0: <laughs> yeah, and look where you're at. Come on.
7: have been on the road? Yeah. 19 years. 19 years? Yeah. Give or take a year. I mean, it's not it boring after a while? Uh, no. Why is there so much violence on the road? Where do you break things in hotel <laughs> <routes? laughs> I mean some violence, you know. I mean when you start when you start doing Whoa, things fucking violence.
6: <laughs> 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 I don't know what you about violence? <laughs> <laughs> huh? you don't wanna see some
7: violence, baby. <laughs> don't, don't, break up don't, I don't, don't break it I'll <laughs> <laughs> break
0: No! <laughs> motorhead! This is who we enter is the motorhead years, motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Started out with the first album, Motorhead. And, you know, come on, they truly took it to 11. They took it to 13, okay? They took it to 15.
6: Free Black Sabbath. If they said to me, uh,. Who would you say was the original metal band? That's, you know, nothing. I mean, it was, I tossed between Lemmy and Black that was, but I would say Lemmy and Motorhead.
0: Isn't that interesting? First song that they ever did was Motorhead to intro themselves.
1: Mixed it with punk and created this. Frantic, intense, powerful music form that, you know, went on to define heavy metal
5: as we know it. It was just rash in your face. It was like getting socked by an overhand right, you know, it was like Mike Tyson in his
7: prime. I remember you turned the radio on and it was like really, really rancid disco, bad boy band pop music, you know, the Osmonds, stuff like that. And um, you go and see a show and it's completely
4: different.
0: Can't play it because it's music. Can't play it. Um, But that's a good song. It's from, of course, the Ace of Spades album, which is 40 years old.
5: There was a guy singing like that on a record, and people were digging it. It's like, whoa. In one of the headlines, we had the
7: worst band in the world, you know, but it was in big letters. Well, I mean, it was fucking great you know didn't give a fuck, well, you kind of care to a point but you know but, but the kids were turning up you know I want to see the worst band in the world you know they must be great what is her
4: name? The was the make it
7: King. King. make it make it oh. energy could be contributed to that and our slim figures <laughs> <laughs>
0: And you know what's funny is a lot of the original members of Motorhead are gone. They're gone. Um, So if they're ever inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I mean, shit. You know, watching this, it makes me think Lemmy needs to get in there just to piss people off.
5: You know, and I had my my little shelf of my, my old rock records I bought as a kid. Steve Miller, Aerosmith, uh, Led Zeppelin, all these bands I used to go see. And then punk Rock happened. Then I saw The Clash and The Ramones, and my life was changing. And all of a sudden, that's the old in with the new. And you'd see someone with long hair. Like, well, he's a hippie. I can't listen to that music because Johnny Rotten says that. this. A... <laughs> and
0: Fuck Johnny Rotten.
5: Pull out the Ace of Spades record. And you're like, oh... Well, wait a minute, because this kind of goes against the gospel of the punk rock because they're long hairs and it's metal but you put the record on and go damn man I can't help it I'm a Motorhead fan
0: see Motorhead gets inside you it lives in you the music first time I saw this documentary I had to have all those fucking albums
7: and when you didn't fit in yourself there was that instant fucking lightning bolt connection like oh shit they're one of us they're us
0: so you get to hear a taste of the music. I'm not gonna hold that shit back. It's Lemmy. It's Motorhead. It's life.
7: I think, personally, that this tour is antidote to Simon Cowell and all the evil shit music that he's purveying. And if there's one man on this tour that embodies the spirit of rock and roll more than Lemmy, show him to me, ladies and gentlemen, the great man himself, Lemmy.
0: And he's playing with the damned, and we can't, we can't play that, you know. But here, here's some more, okay? I'm
7: pleased about that. He said, "I learned all your fucking shitty songs, and you ruined my one. One fucking song on you, bunch of cunts."
5: killed by death metropolis overkill i don't believe a
3: word some people might be like killed by death that's stupid i'm like no you're
1: stupid lemmy is an amazing lyricist powerful lyricist smart sharp
7: the first lyrics are
8: just so twisted just straight in your face don't talk to me i don't believe a word but that's the way i like it maybe i don't want to live forever I mean, who could say it better? You know, I mean that—that that is one of the most prolific lines. You win some, you lose some. It's all the same to me. I kind of live by that. Fuck Keith
1: Richards. Fuck all those dudes that fucking, you know, that survived the '60s and are fucking flying around on Lear jets and, you know living up their gunslinger reputation as they you know, fuck supermodels and the most expensive hotel in Paris. It's like, you know what Lemmy's doing? Lemmy's probably drinking Jack and Cokes and writing another record. Two, three, four. One.
6: one of the things that Lemmy wrote for me was, was, Mama, I'm Coming Home. It's, it's really a, a haunting feeling because it's like when I give someone who doesn't know what the situation with my wife and I it really is, um, it's kind of spooky when somebody writes a lyric and you sing that lyric and you go, Fucking you know, it's so close to home, you know. Every time I play that on stage, it's, it's like I get a chill up my spine, you know. Just a clown in a one-horse town and then broke down your guy. Can you still get... No. You had
8: to use your
0: MasterCard! Nah. Let's go again. Can you still get it up? Or are we pushing? Too- so, see, we got a little bit of the music in there. Don't come after me, Lemmy. Um, there's a lot to be said about this man. That's my street fighter. A lot.
2: And, um. Going for. Blood pressure, I think. I mean, I told him my blood's pressing just fine. Every time I cut myself, it comes right out. Okay, that's it.
8: And he asked me about a quad injury. I had torn my quad, like, maybe a year before that. And he just, out of nowhere, said, uh, you know, when you tore your quad, did you think that was it? Were you, you know, did you think your career was over? Were you finished? And uh, I said, you know, I went through my head a few times, and you know, but I just kept going with it. And he said, you know, when they told me I was diabetic and, you know, and I, I was really sick with it, which was actually right before he did my song. He said, uh, you know, at first I thought, I'm done. You know what I mean? It's it's all over. And and uh, But then, he, you know, he, he said, uh, I, I started thinking about it, and, you know, what the fuck am I going to do? You know, he said, I've lived my whole life this way. I've done everything I've done up until now to get to where I'm at. I'm not going to change. And the, the, the quote that always sticks with me, he said, you know, I do all the stuff that I do drug-wise and drinking-wise and all that stuff. And at the end of the day, he said, you know, I'm, I'm too old to find God now.
0: Isn't that interesting? He said he's too old to find God now. A couple
5: songs with him in the studio. He came in there with a a bottle of Maker's Mark whiskey. And I started drinking with him. And we really didn't get much done because we were just (laughs) drinking. and, And he was like playing guitar and showing me stuff. And then we'd stop drink, 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 drink. And the next day, I had to go to the hospital. Lemmy gave me alcohol poisoning, basically. There's
7: the Marlboro Reds, there's the Jack Daniels, there's the Speed, there's the Strippers, and there's the gambling.
1: You know, that's what he liked. I remember me sitting down and with Zach, and he's showing us, like, Beetle footage and stuff, and uh, he, he says, uh, do you want a Jack Daniels? And me and Zach, oh, far out, you know? So I remember, I remember this. He, he takes out a fifth of Jack Daniels and cracks the seal and then hands it to me. And then, so I take a swig off it, and hand it to Zach, and Zach takes a swig of it, and then he goes to hand it back to Lemmy, and Lemmy is opening another fifth for me, and opening another fifth for him. Like, he, it was like having a beer with the guy. He wanted us to drink the whole fifth, just like, you know, we're drinking a beer, we're like, holy shit, no, no, no. First time I ever met the guy, he says hello, and proceeds to offer me crystal meth. This is fucking oh hardcore dude. <laughs>
0: Isn't that interesting? You know, he, he just takes it to the hilt, and that's the beauty of Lemmy. I
6: have seen Lemmy incapacitated by, by
5: booze or anything. I have not seen him f- fall off the stage. I haven't seen him say stupid things. I haven't seen his life crumble because of it. It would be pretty scary to <laughs> have Lemmy completely sober and on you, man. By,
6: by the Lord of average, he should have been dead. Like, I mean, we all used to hit it really hard, but he's just... I don't know, he's made a fucking iron, I don't know what the fuck. He... No,
2: I don't really want to advertise all that. I don't want kids to take any drugs because of me. You know, I don't really want them to stay off drugs because of me either, but I don't want to advertise the lifestyle that killed a lot of my friends. Okay?
1: Here's another question for Lemmy. Jose? Uh, yeah, um, Lemmy?
3: Yeah. Um, what do you credit to your longevity? You drink, you smoke, you party a lot, and um, I want to know what you credit to it.
2: Not dying. That's the <laughs> secret. That's the secret of <laughs> survival. Not dying. I don't know. You know, I was lucky, right? Because a lot of my friends didn't make it. You know. Yeah. And uh, I did. Yeah. You know, I, I never did heroin. See, That's, that was the one.
0: And here's a story about a woman that he loved who did heroin.
4: years old. Uh, he said to me. Son, promise me that when you grow up, you know, don't do coke. Please, just don't do coke. And I was like, okay, you know. And he says, just do speed, it's much better for you.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, and Motorhead went that way. I mean... um You know here he is playing with metallica you know every everyone metallica did a song about a murder one you know
1: and well surprise surprise same dudes were on the crew as when i toured with them back in the early 80s and here it is the 90s and they're like hey how you doing i'm like holy crap you know but this is Lemmy. it
4: was just like a big family kind of thing without getting too cliche. We rely on each other. We love each other, we hate each other,
0: we live to- Isn't that interesting? The same crew up 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 until the end, up until his death in two thousand and five. Fifteen, I'm sorry. This you know, they took a two eleven. I mean, they're the loudest band ever. Oh, here we go.
4: Just a bit more. An ear doctor would probably be amazed at just how well Lemmy can hear, considering the uh, abuse he gives his ears. There's one thing about Lemmy he'll always hear you if you offer him a drink, even if you walk up behind him.
7: With the loudest band in the world, in the Guinness Book of Records, you know, that's what people want. They want
4: it loud. They want it loud, they want it fast, they want it. Let Is it loud enough? No. Is it loud enough? No! Are you sure about it?
2: This is Showbiz Radio. Stone Killer's.
7: I remember when we went in to record. Um, corruption and lies
5: in britannia row in islington in london and um the the people that had been in before us hadn't you know you're supposed to level them.
0: you know what's interesting is is how i mean in terms of his longevity you know he really took it to the hilt
2: <laughs> oh, until um 2047 then i might slow down a bit it might be 2048
7: to like about Motörhead, it's a band that's got it all. They're hardcore, they're proper hardcore bands, they're like,
4: I don't know, like Saxon
7: and all that shit, they're like excellent, they're like, they're full on, they've always been full on, Motörhead are like, they set a standard for all the others to follow.
3: Every time you see
7: them live, they make you deaf,
6: I don't have to listen to my wife, <laughs> so many, for about five days out of every year, my wife is totally ignored, because I, oh, sorry darling, I can't hear you.
0: oh yeah, oh yeah, this is a celebration of Lemmy, Lemmy, Lemmy of Motorhead, and this beautiful documentary. ...go out
8: of his way to help anybody, you he just see it in his heart.
7: When I was married before, right, and, and um, we were all on the road together, my husband was huge at the time, my husband Matthew, comes from Indiana, like just redneck kid, idolized Lemmy, like huge Motorhead fan. So we're on tour with Motorhead, and and um, and me and Lemmy have immediately have this connection. Me and my my marriage was heavily on the rocks, and you know, uh, uh, Lemmy, what like my husband just wouldn't talk to him or you know anything, and Lemmy just would come up with t-shirts and like, hey Matt, you know, and when we actually separated, um, he was telling all these people in town, and we were from Athens, Georgia, so it's a very, very small town. He was telling all these people that me and Lemmy were having this affair, and blah, blah, blah. So he, and I, and
0: eight months later, A lot of drama. A so, um, lot of drama. We're not going to carry the drama. But,
2: I never had that shit going on, you know. I just never missed a father because I never had one, you know. So I, I didn't care. He was just a miserable little dickhead with glasses. And all he ever did for me was walk out of me. I think I understand women a lot better than some guys do. Because women want the same things as guys do. They just don't want them for as long. Guys want the the quick fuck in the alley all their lives, you know, whereas girls get tired of that pretty quick. You know, they want security. And security means you have to give up everything. There might be a
4: risk to their security, you know, which is why I'm not married. (laughs) My dad once went out with a woman. That he really fell in love with when he was.
0: This is a story I was telling you about.
4: And this girl died uh, of a heroin overdose. And, you know, my dad is anti heroin. I mean, he, he, he will not have anything to do with someone who's on smack. But this girl, and it's, I think it's because of this girl, you know, because he really loved this girl. And she, he found her in the
0: And see, this is covering, this is covering everything of Motorhead. This is... Yeah.
2: At the very top. Rock and roll set lost for an hour and a half, you know, so I think we got that one sorted out.
0: There is a really great moment at the end of this documentary that we're going to cover. Here we go. Since it is Christmas time But it mainly is Lemmy's birthday
1: I just can imagine the party The the, the party everybody's going to celebrate His life someday is just
5: going to be Like a a head of state I think he'll be sorely missed throughout the world When he goes But then I think
7: the way it'll be And I think the way he'd want it as well There's not going to be many tears shed but But many
5: what fucking great times we had Do you know what I mean? He's going to be one of those it's going
0: to be. And he is missed 5 years later. What would have been his 75th birthday. Let me kill Meister.
5: I don't know how old he is and I don't care. He could be 100 years old. The fact that he's up there still doing it is absolute inspiration for us. We got nothing to complain about and everything to look forward to.
0: And this is the this is the moment of the documentary that I love.
5: And
2: this is what I am. This is what I do. This is what I'm supposed to do. Right here. I'm supposed to be backstage waiting to go on, you know.
1: If your life was a movie, how would you want it to end?
2: It should end with the clap of thunder and me vanishing off the top of the mountain, leaving behind a plaque which says, Fools, you. Again. Yeah. (laughs) Something along those lines. But of course we can't afford the mountain, we can't afford the flash powder. And we can't get the cameras up the slope, right? So there you go. Can't have everything, can you? Where would you put it? Any regrets? None. Life's too short.
0: that beautiful it's beautiful it's motorhead and here we go i
2: would like to say that you're one of the best fucking crowds we ever played for thank you don't forget us we are motorhead and we play rock and roll (laughs) So,
0: directed by Greg Ovalier and Wes. Uh, let's let's get it right, people. Early, early days of music studios. Let's get it right. Let's. Uh, I want to give a shout out to one of the filmmakers of the documentary because I asked him a question once and he got back to me. Um, here we go. Greg, let's say it right, people.
5: Greg Oliver.
0: Greg Oliver. And uh, let's see.
5: Wes Orshoski.
0: Wes Orshoski, the Lemmy Documentary, 2010. Uh the Blu-ray has special bonus features. This is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. I didn't do a lot of talking tonight because I just let the, the documentary speak for itself. Whether I get in trouble or not, it's all in the name of metal. And so as always, unpleasant dreams. Lemmy, I conjured you tonight. Happy birthday to the heavy metal king. Unpleasant dreams. Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. This is short but sweet, or is it? Tonight we're going to talk about documentary December. Music documentary. Give Me Shelter, The Rolling Stones. Not one of my favorites. There are some shiny moments, but the after effect with the Hells Angels and how the Stones had them as bodyguards or security. I don't know. But you know... That's what you're going to get when you bring them to the forefront at the Altamont Speedway, which I'm not too far from in California. This is, I should have talked about this on the 6th because this was released on December 6, 1970, a year after it happened. Directed by Albert and David Mazels, who, and Charlotte Zerwin, who also they did uh, Grey Gardens, you know, the story of Little Edie and Big Edie. <laughs> So here we go. In uh, 1970, uh, okay, so this chronicles the last weeks of the Rolling Stones' 1969 U.S. tour, which culminated in the dis- disastrous Ultimate Free Concert. The film is named after the Gimme Shelter, the lead track from the group's 1969 album, Let It Bleed. Gimme Shelter was screened out of competition as the opening film of the 1971. Cannes Film Kans F- Film Festival. That's yeah, a counterculture documentary. Mm. The film depicts some of the Madison Square Garden concert later featured on the 1970 live album "Get Your Ya Ya's Out: The Rolling Stones in Concert," as well as Charlie Watts and a donkey filmed on the M6 motorway near Birmingham during a photograph session for the album cover. It also shows the Stones at work in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, recording Brown Sugar and Wild Horses. And footage of Ike and Tina opening for the Stones at their Madison Square concert. To Mick Jagger's comment, it's nice to have a chick occasionally. Oh, Mick, you jealous bastard. Oh, so that is the shiny moment of Gimme Shelter, okay? So Ike and Tina, you know, to this day, Tina Turner can't watch that clip. I think she, she felt she brought too much sexually to that moment. She's singing Otis Redding. I've been loving you for so long. Okay. And so Tina starts to caress. This is a legendary clip. They showed it to her in 60 Minutes with the late Mike Wallace. She put her fingers in her ears. Didn't want to watch it. Where she's caressing the microphone. And she's like, "And I want you. I want you to give it to me. And I want you to. Oh, and she starts to go into it. It's another thing to watch what Tina Turner, when she was performing, could bring to a stage. We're not gonna play clips tonight, okay? I did that for Lemmy last night because I loved Lemmy and Motorhead. But this is this is from experience. When you, I've never seen Tina Turner in concert, and I hope maybe one day in her 80s she does a, a show it remains to be seen um, but there's an energy about Tina Turner that nobody, Beyonce can try to conjure it all she wants you know all these singers can try to conjure the the remnants of Tina Turner or the energy the pulsating energy that is Tina Turner but they can't do it and only Tina Turner could do it okay and there's a moment in the performance of I've Been Loving You So Long where Tina just lets that shit rip. And she's just, she's giving you the blues. This is r and at its best with some rock. And she's like, oh, oh, baby, give it to me, make me know. I can't do it like Tina. That if she had never done What's Love Got To Do With It, that right there is a testament that made Mick Jagger jealous like a bitch okay Mick Mick Jagger is a pretty jealous person when Keith gets it oh that's not bad but even Keith can be jealous too you know I know about jealousy my dog was in the in the cat's bed and it's like shit now I gotta buy her a bed and so I did everyone needs to be treated well and equal and on my farm <sighs> the ultimate free concert which turned into disaster. It turned into uh, I mean murder. Music, mayhem. 3 M's that you don't want to have. People thought 1968 was a bloody year. 1969 was a deadly year. This is a deadly year. And um, the focus then turns to the 1969 concert itself at the Altamont Speedway, the security for which was provided by the Hell's Angels, armed with pull cues. As the day progresses with drug taking and drinking from the angels and the members of the audience, the mood turns ugly. Oh boy, did it ever! Fights break out during performances by the Flying Burrito Brothers and the Jefferson Airplane. Brace Slick pleads with the crowd to settle down. When Mick Jagger arrives to the grounds via helicopter, he is punched in the face by an unruly fan while making his way to his trailer. At one point, Jefferson Airplane lead singer Marty Baum is knocked out of it by by Hell's Angel. Paul Cantor attempts to confront the people who hit... My lead singer. In response, announced, Hey, man, I'd like to mention that the Hells Angels have just smashed Marty Baum in the face and knocked him out a bit. I'd like to thank you for that. To which in Hells Angels, sitting on the stage, grabs the microphone and replies, You're talking to my people. Let me tell you what's happening. You, man. You are what's happening. uh, Slick herself warns the angels after they continue hitting people. You don't hassle with anybody in particular. You got to keep your bodies off each other unless you intend love. People get weird and you need people like the angels to keep people in line, but the angels also... You know, you don't bust people in the head for nothing. So both sides are fucking up temporarily. Let's not keep fucking up. Jerry Garcia and Phil Leach arrive, but the Grateful Dead opt not to play after learning of the incident with Ballin. From Santana drummer Michael Shavers. Santana and Scrappy Spills and Nash and Young are performed at the concert but are not shown in the movie. It got deadly. Ugh. Stones are shown appearing on stage that evening and perform sympathy, sympathy for the devil as the tension continues to build during the next song "Under My Thumb." A member of the audience, an 18-year- old, attempted with other crowd members to force his way onto the stage, as a result was struck by the Hell's Angels guarding the band. Hunter then drew a revolver before being attacked by the Hell's Angel and killed by at least six stab wounds. It was captured on film by at least one of the many camera operators filming the documentary and appeared in the final cut of the film. According to Albert Mazels, the stabbing was filmed by this person. The other sources have credited another person. The film sequence clearly shows the dark silhouette of a handgun in so-and-so's hand against the crocheted vest of his girlfriend. Oh, this is, yeah, this is why I didn't like it. Uh, the credited camera operators for Ultimat included a young george lucas at the concert lucas camera jammed after shooting about 100 feet of film none of his footage was incorporated into the final cut mm. the performances Jack flash i can't get no satisfaction you gotta move wild horses brown sugar love in vain honky tonk woman street fight and man oh it happened that night sympathy for the devil not there under my thumb and give me shelter. There was no shelter at that concert. I've been loving you too long at Madison Square Garden, Jefferson Airplane, at the Altamont, Flying Burrito, or others. This documentary, when I first watched it, and I had never seen it before, and I thought, okay, you know, I'll give it a chance. I've seen many music documentaries this, this really disgusted me. And it made me kind of look at the Stones. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I mean, the audience... There are some things in that audience that you see, especially in the daylight. and It's kind of like... We don't really need to see that. Okay? It's not that I'm... Here's the thing. I love the Stones' music. But this documentary... Was really disgusting to watch. People can disagree with me. Um. I mean. And I'm talking about the Altamont Speedway footage. And what happened. That's where. You know people don't want to tell the truth. And if you notice. I didn't say certain names. Because that's not my case to say that on this show. That's for. Those who were involved. Um who didn't come forward and so you know the 60s I wasn't there but I know people who were okay the 60s were not a a, you know how we say old age ain't for sissies the 60s were not for sissies you had to be pretty tough to have endured the 60s and I'm not just talking about at home okay okay so when I watched this documentary, and I watched it once, and once was enough, it kind of shows the Rolling Stones in a very not-so-great light. Mick Jagger, are you listening? Okay. Now, I'm not condemning the Stones. Like I said, the music, hey, it's, it's the soundtrack. But, you know that old saying, you get what you pay for? When you hire Hell's Angels is your bodyguards of a concert. They are not law enforcement, okay? They're not hired security. These, I mean, these are vigilantes. So you better watch it. And when you get drugs involved, oh man. And, you know, Albert and... David Mazels went on to do some really great documentaries together before David Mazels died in the 1980s. And Albert Mazels continued on and he did a really great documentary, his last, called Iris, about Iris Ap- Apfel, a really great fashion icon. But Gimme Shelter, The Rolling Stones, the documentary, the footage of the Altamont Speedway. I closed my eyes because I saw it. I saw it once. But those who lived it, they'll tell you another thing. It really made them sick. Even the Grateful Dead knew it. See, the Grateful Dead did not fuck with that shit. They didn't fuck with violence. And they knew that the angels... (laughs) they ain't no angels, for one. Hello. Yeah. So... What else can we say? It's the Doctor Zeus Film Podcast documentary December. Um, it's a short one tonight because you know I'm not I'm not a fan of this documentary, and I've seen them all. Okay, so Merry Christmas to you all. Thank you for listening. The microphone wasn't working. I guess that ha- that's what happens when you accidentally drop some sparkling water on it. You know, um, maybe there's a ghost afoot, and I do believe in ghosts. Not religious, but I believe in them. The energy. You know, hello, this is Christmas. Charles Dickens, who believed that he was surrounded by ghosts. Oh my God. We're all surrounded by them. You know, uh, Albert C. Clarke, who wrote Space Odyssey 2001 with Stanley Kubrick, said that we are all surrounded by ghosts, just like Charles Dickens said, okay? So, Merry Christmas. May we all heal. It's documentary December. I, I talk about these documentaries. Here's the thing. I love films. I almost became a filmmaker. I shouldn't say almost because there's still time. I've still got... 50 more years on me. Um, uh, Or maybe 70. Hey, We'll never know. Um, But, and I love music. I think music is such a great thing. I've had people in my family, cousins who have made fun of the fact that I like music. Um, Usually they're full of shit. You know? Um... I have a lot of people in my family who are full of shit. Not my immediate family. My immediate family, you know, they give me the freedom to pursue and to... You know, I mean, we were we were not raised religious. We weren't. We were given a freedom that other people are not given. And so I, I have respect and love for that. But there's other relatives. They just like to just tear me down, even some friends of the family who like to tear me down and so for that this is Christmas, heal and fuck you because you're not going to tear me down okay who've made fun of this show who've made fun of how I look and that's fine that's fine, if you notice I cut those people off I could cut everybody off and not give a flying fuck But I do this show. I don't do this show for money. I made a little bit of money off of this show. But I do this show for the love of the art. I don't do much talking anymore. Personally. I try not to. I try to save it for the show. Everything that I have to say, I'll say on the show. Everything about documentaries, you know... The pauses. I try not to do the ums. Whenever I do the ums too much, I think of my professor in college who taught us to remove the ums of uncertainty or ensure, you know, uh, insecurity from our dialogue and to just pause. And I paused. But I don't want to leave you too much in suspense. And, um... It's almost midnight. The deadline is upon us. So Merry Christmas, wherever you are. Uh, shout out to the LNC666 who listen. My Canadian fans, my European fans, my American fans. You know, I've always wanted to go to Europe. I've always wanted to go to the Emerald Isle, to England, to Germany, to Denmark, Um You know, uh, everywhere. But until then, I'm on the podcast, Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Next month, we're going to talk about comedy because we all need to laugh. There are so many great comedies, and I'm going to finish off the night watching Gremlins, which is so funny, yet so scary, but it's Christmas. It's not Christmas until you hear those Gremlins go rah, 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 unpleasant dreams.